greatest untapped resource in the world in which we live is the body of Christ. The fivefold ministry of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, five areas of ministry equipped to equip the body of Christ for every good work. You are God's craftsmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. My primary role in this particular church at this particular time in this season is to never stray from equipping God's people for works of service, to leverage the power of the body of Christ is to go exponentially beyond what any one person's ministry can do. One can put a thousand to flight, two, 10,000. God is looking for the synergistic collaboration of the body of Christ on both the local and global forefront. This is why when tragedy befalls us, I appeal to you. I appeal to you to pray, to call on the Lord together. That's why we laid hands on that baby months ago. And that esophagus was closed. That hole in that esophagus was closed before they ever got to the hospital. That's why we, we lay hands on the sick. That's why we prayed for somebody in ICU on COVID to come off a ventilator. That's why we do it, because there's power in the body. Never forget the body, the body, the body. Well, we have such another circumstance about us where the ministry of the body is needed. Calamity strikes everyone. No one is immune. But it is how we respond to that calamity, to tragedy, that defines us as a spiritual family. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Monumental good and bad things happen in life. It is true. It does rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And tragedy befalls all of us. Our response determines our witness. There's three words I want you to keep in mind. First is reality. If and when tragedy strikes, strikes a blow to your family, to your loved ones, to your neighbors, not if, but when tragedy comes, we have to deal with the reality that it is. We have to see it as reality, as true. We can't dismiss it or minimize it. Can't gloss it over. Can't not, not deal with it. We have to confront it. We have to go through the storm. It is a storm and the storm must be traversed. Knowing that God, even the wind and the waves obey him. 
You have been through storms, as have I, and we now have a family in the midst of a storm itself. When one hurts in the body of Christ, ideally all hurt, for we carry one another's burdens, and in so doing, we fulfill the law of Christ. One of the greatest assets to the local church, I might even say the smaller local church, more often than the large megachurch, the smaller local church has a distinctive in the world today that can't be dismissed, can't be denied, but must be capitalized. What is that? The personal ministry to one another, as people don't get lost in the myriad of crowds, we're personalized, we have lives, we share burdens, we know our ups and downs, we know our faults, our weaknesses, and our own warts. And we find ourselves at that crossroad today. Reality, this is happening, this is real. Some people have a gift of denying reality, escaping reality, we don't, we go straight ahead. Full speed ahead. Let's deal what needs to be dealt with and let's do it as a family. So that's reality. The second is reflect on the ramifications. I think believers and followers of Jesus Christ today could do a little better job of thinking. And not only thinking, thinking on our own that our thinking cannot totally be informed from outsiders. Thinking for ourselves, thinking in, with the mind of Christ, thinking in accordance with the word of God. These are things that we can always improve on. We're called to be thinkers who believe and believers who think, but we must think. So a tragedy befalls us, a, a, a tough thing comes our way, it's reality. Now let's reflect on the ramifications. How are we gonna deal with this? How are we gonna find it more than just face value? This thinking can inform our prayer and our prayer can inform our thinking. Thinking sometimes I believe is an endangered species in our culture. Let's think more and act more and pray more. Let's process things and let's respond appropriately. I'd encourage you to be here next week, obviously for the picnic but in all seriousness. I don't want you to miss this message at this timely moment and season in our nation's history as we celebrate our independence as to how the church can respond to what's happening in the world today, even in light of this recent Supreme Court decision. It's imperative that we as a church think about how to respond, think about how to act going forward. It's very important. We must respond appropriately for the glory of God. So yes, monumentally good and bad things happen in life. This we know. You've been around the block a few times. If this isn't your first rodeo, you know of where I speak. But let's narrow it down. Sometimes monumentally bad things happen to good people. Jesus said that we would be persecuted. He didn't waffle on that. He, he told us in advance. 
We know that there are martyrs of the faith. We know that people are being imprisoned for their faith. We know that people are being killed for their faith. It is, it is real, that's real. Let's accept that. And none of us are insulated or immune, not a one of us, from pain and hurt. That's reality. And that's reality for two, in particular, in our congregation, uh, Barrett McKim and his mother, Caroline. So this young boy, uh, this young boy has now experienced 50% of his body second or third degree burns. This is real, okay? Is there more real than that? And his mother, similar on her hands for trying to help him. So, so this, is, this is a science experiment going wrong, but it's also now time for us to accept the reality of what's going on here, to reflect on the ramifications, to know how to pray and process this situation, and to respond in kind, to respond accordingly. I don't have words to come close to what that must be like for a 12-year-old boy, I have no idea. But that reality happened, that shock still lingers. And we all live, here's a made up word for you, we live in the unheavenness of this world. The reason when you die, you're resurrected, is as Jesus said on the cross that day, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise. The reality is that we must accept, if you need any convincing at all, listen to this. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Later today. But in this life, you're gonna face many trials and tribulations. We live in a world that is not heaven, and though momentarily we may feel like there's heaven on earth, and there may be, it is not lasting. It is at best fleeting. And we must maintain, and we must find the reality upon reflection on how we respond to the things that befall us and others. Our fallenness as a world, our broken and fracturedness of, uh, our tenuousness as, as a world, our vulnerability as a world is based on the, on the reality that a man and a woman violated the law of God and paradise was then closed. You live and I live closed off from Paradise, awaiting paradise. Why do these things happen? They happen because we live in a fallen world. The man born blind is an interesting figure to me. John chapter nine, verse three. I'm trying to figure out why this man was blind and why was he born blind and why would such a thing befall such a man? He did nothing to deserve this. He didn't 
nothing to be punished in such a way. So someone said, well, his parents must have sinned. And Jesus responded, neither this man nor his parents sin. Yeah, they sin. But what he's saying is they didn't sin in such a way as to cause the blindness of their own son. He said, but this happened. It did happen. He acknowledges it. It happened. So that the works of God may be displayed in him. You know, we as the people of God know that these things can happen to anybody. But we also know, unlike people who do not follow Christ, we know this as well. When those, when those things happen, when tragedy befalls us, we have work to do. God has work to do. God has from heaven the attentiveness and the wherewithal which, which to tend to us in our grieving. And that his works may be displayed. Works that otherwise would not be displayed or in a different way if we lived in heaven, which we don't. So how do we deal with a innocent boy such horrific situation? Well, we gotta respond. The response is certainly prayer. I don't wanna minimize that in the least. That's a, a totally appropriate response. But what's prayer look like after reflection, thinking about it. The first thing I wanna encourage you to do in a situation like this is, is think and pray and reflect upon these things with the actual goal in mind of empathy and authenticity. Praying and praying with authenticity are two different things. One can be done out of duty, obligation, responsibility. Another can be done out of brokenness and love. My guess is they yield different results. Sit in it. Not fun, but necessary. Not going to catch up with the family and not going to catch up with Barrett and not going to catch up with Caroline, but sit in it. Reflect upon it. Posture yourself before the Lord in such a way as to get some sort of idea what that reality is and pray out of that reality. Not as a distant spectator, but a present, empathetic, conduit of grace. Ponder that and you'll no doubt immediately go to the physical ramifications of this young man's situation. Ponder still the emotional ramifications, ramifications of his siblings, his mother. Sit in it. This is the thing that unfortunately in our world today gets overlooked. Too much of a hurry, you know. Put it in my cell phone, I'll pray for him tonight. No, no, sit in it. 
Reflect on it from your own experience. To have a loved one in the hospital for an extended period of time is a lifestyle in and of itself. It's a lifestyle with a totally different rhythm, a totally different focus, with a accentuation of the priorities of life. It has a ministry of its own. How, Lord, should I pray? How, Lord, can I pray? What scripture can I pray? And sometimes prayer, my friend, has to extend beyond the immediate. There's the obvious immediate physical need. Uh, There's the the obvious need for healing and expeditious healing. There's the obvious need to deal with pain. And there's all of that. But there's, in this situation, as in often traumatic experiences, there's things beyond that that we must pray about as a church family. And then there is something else. Something else that, for whatever reason, has gone AWOL from our vernacular. It's seemingly non-existent in our practice. It's not overlooked. I'm not sure it was ever looked at to begin with. And the sad part about it is, it's powerful. It's, it's prayer, but it's more than prayer. It's, um, it's something that comes up in the Bible often. It's something that God wove the whole entire scripture in. If it was a skeleton to put the meat on, this would be the skeleton. It's the framework of how God operates over time through people groups, and it's something that can be as powerful as possibly could be for an individual. Yet we have over-adopted prayer or over-emphasized prayer to the neglect of this one powerful thing. It's, it, it's, it's divinely powerful, and I'm, and I'm not surprised that we've not been reminded of it enough. We touch on it from time to time. It's in our culture. It's sort of on the fridges. It's, uh, but it's not loosed in its fullness. It's not loosed in its spiritual fortitude. It's not exacted upon someone in Barrett and Caroline's situation. It's not, even, it's not even placed on our own children the way it should be. It's not even placed on our own grandchildren the way it should be. It's, it's overlooked, it's not emphasized enough. And the pulpits of America, including this one, ought to get on board with it because God's got it much higher up the list than we do. It is the power. It is the power of a blessing. From God's eyes, that's something we need to sit in and get real with the power of a blessing. Yes, pray for healing. But today we're fixing to lose a blessing on the boy. Uh, it comes up in conversation, doesn't it? Men, in the eyes of God, this is your responsibility. Listen to what I'm talking about. 
Listen closely. Yes, it comes up in conversation. How are you? Oh, I'm blessed. Super. I'm blessed. I'm just blessed. Okay, that's good. I got the favor of God on me. I'm just, things are going really well. Super. Hey, so-and-so, do you mind saying the blessing over our meal? Sure. Throw something out there. I'll get something out there. I'll bless it. Wife says to her husband, I think, I think, I think the kid's coming over to ask for your blessing on their marriage. Hopefully that's music to your ears. The Apostle Rocky Balboa. 1976, best picture. Late to the fight with Apollo Creed. He went to the balcony of the uh, church and asked Father Carmine, yo, Father Carmine, throw down a blessing so I don't get beat up too bad. Which apparently worked because it went on to be hundreds of millions of dollar franchise for Rocky. My point here is that blessing is more than casual. Uh, blessing is a spiritual responsibility. Uh, placing a blessing on someone as a father and a grandfather, which we'll talk more about on Wednesday, is the execution of a spiritual right, of a spiritual authority. doesn't take the place of prayer. But it's not weak and diluted. It's a powerful thing if you understand it. I'm going to give you a couple semi-casual examples. I, I alluded to this a couple days ago, but it's important. Why do I get in an airplane and fly to New Orleans to dedicate and speak a blessing over a World War II museum. Why would I do that? Well, because the person who asked me, I love and I respect. That's why. But why does he ask? Because he understands the power of blessing. It's like invocation. Hey, would you do the invocation at so-and-so event? Is that some ceremonial thing on the program that we dismiss early in the itinerary so that we can get on with the graduation service? Is that a, a fashionable, acceptable sort of spiritual thing that gives the event a greater level of integrity and seriousness? Or is there something to the invocation that we ought to pay attention to as believers? Are we not invoking the spirit of the living God, not only on the occasion, but on the future of the people at the occasion. Why would I go to a golf course years ago and pray a, a blessing on a golf course, a country club, because I highly love and respect the people who invited me, but they know the power of it. 
When they open a golf course and the first thing they do, the first thing they do is ask for a blessing, they understand the blessing is more than simply a ceremonial action. The blessing has a beyondness to it. The blessing isn't for the moment. The blessing goes into the future. It it stays with the property. It stays on the property. It stays on the people and the property. The, The actual motive intent of the vision of the very place is blessed and asked. God doesn't forget about the blessing. We go on and do whatever we're gonna do. We move to different states. We, we die, we live, we have children, we do whatever we're gonna do. But the blessing remains. God knows the blessing. God doesn't forget the blessing. That's what makes it so powerful. It's not a mo- in a moment thing. It's, there's a beyondness to it. All the days of one's life. You see how, hey, Uncle Jim, you mind saying the blessing over the meal? If that's the extent to which we see the depth of the blessing, the scriptural blessing, ooh, boy, we got a long way to go. To pray for a blessing on a nation. The blessings prayed on this nation in 1776 God still can articulate and read them back. He remembers them. He takes us seriously, whether we take ourselves seriously or not. Blessing. Genesis 12, probably one of the most important passages in all of Scripture. It is the statement right there in your face early on in the game, first quarter, not even two minutes into the first quarter. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a father of many nations, Abraham. Abram. He was serious about that. It wasn't some thing he threw in at the end. That's still true today. You see the beyondness of the blessing. Deuteronomy 28, blessings of obedience curses of disobedience. You know, back in the day, the blessing, that's what it was. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your obedience, okay? I'm going to curse, which doesn't mean punish. It means I'm going to withhold my blessing from those who are disobedient. Do you live in the supernatural favor of God? Blessing is to to be led to the center of God's will, plan, or destiny. You will not miss the people you're supposed to meet, and you'll not meet the people you're supposed to miss. A blessing is a power for enlargement spoken over another. Wow. Dads. Grandfathers. Years ago, my pastor uh, was talking with me on a, on a Thursday, and he goes, Sunday night, you know, we're gonna launch the building campaign. It's a 60 plus million dollar thing. 
So he goes, I, I mean, this is how I'm gonna do it. What do you think, got any advice? Or I said, no, I'm just, I'm sure you'll do fine, you know. So there it was, Sunday night church. That's back when you had Sunday night church, remember that? And he launches the building campaign. I thought, wow, cool. Badly needed. I mean, our sanctuary was built in 1967. Falling apart. There were rats underneath our sanctuary, size of cats. 1967, they've been down there. My wife used to see them in the hallway. What do you think happened to them when we started construction? I'm sure the neighbors were thrilled. Monday morning, he calls me. He goes, what do you think? How do you think that went Sunday night? We launched, you know, the new vision, you know, the new campaign. I go, I thought it was awesome. I mean, I'm behind you 100%. He goes, good. I want you to lead the campaign. So we got together and we thought, how are we, how are we going to lead a building campaign? I've, I've never been through a building campaign. I've never been to another church before. What do I know about it? Everything I was asked to do in that church, I had no experience whatsoever. So we sat down and we thought, what are we gonna do? Well, we can hire a consultant. They'll take all the money up front that they deserve and we'll get her on the back end. And I said, well, he and I both looked at each other and like, why don't we just do what the scripture says? So we found a scripture. Nehemiah testified to the gracious hand of God upon him. The people heard the testimony and they said, let us rise up and build, Nehemiah 2, 18. Then we started having these meetings where called I and I meetings. We informed people and we inspired people with the vision to expand the kingdom of God both here and around the world. And it was a very worthy endeavor, very worthy. But every time we had a meeting, whether it was a small intimate dinner or a large gathering or intermediate sized gathering, at the end of the meeting, no one left until we all laid hands on them. Each person, the pastor, would lay hands on them and pray for God's blessing. About 5,000 people were laid hands on and prayed for God's blessing. We never deviated from the scripture. One man walked up to me one day, I don't have my wallet, I mean, he pulled out this thing, he looked like it was about to, it was pulverized, it looked like a petrified check of some kind. It was made out for $64,000. And he laid it down on a, outside the cafe there after church, took a pen and he signed the check and handed it to me. He said, three years ago I wrote the, that check by faith. And God blessed me. And now I have the money to give it to you. And we used to say, whoever dares touch this sacred project will be blessed. And they were blessed. And that blessing happened to be financial. I'm talking about that now. What I'm trying to say is when you bless somebody in earnest, that blessing remains. God doesn't forget it. You, you pray for stuff and you, you forget about it like I do and you go on with your day and then all of a sudden God answers a prayer. You go, oh my gosh, I forgot about that. I asked him about that about 10 years ago. Well, that was like 10 minutes to him. If you pray the scripture, the answer's going to be yes at some point. 
blessing has a beyondness to it. And the blessing is spoken. I get in situations like this often. I've, I've gotten phone calls over the years to stand with someone next to the bedside as they unplug their husband's life support and hold their hand and watch him go on to heaven. I've conducted baptism ceremonies for stillborn infants because the parents wanted to acknowledge the life of their baby. I've been privileged to, to sit with a family knowing that their baby was gonna die in 45 minutes to an hour after birth. So you, it makes you think sometimes about this phenomenon or whatever this thing is we call a pastor. We look at it different ways and we have different definitions. And sometimes the pastor is a highly nurturing, gentle, caring, compassionate person. And other times they're been another way. But they have a role, they have a responsibility, they have a biblical responsibility. What's a biblical responsibility of a pastor in a situation like this? See, I have to sit in that, I have to think about that. So I did, and I, and I sat in it, and I thought about it, and obviously you pray, but you speak a blessing. Speak a blessing on the boy. Speak a blessing on the boy. Blessings are spoken. And they're spoken by someone who has been placed and the confirmation that they've been placed in a, in a position of authority. That's why I looked at you, Father. In the eyes of God, you have a spiritual authority, grandfathers, a, a patriarchal spiritual authority in the eyes of God to impart a blessing, okay? Now, you say, well, I'm, the, I'm not worthy of that. Well, I'm not worthy of it either. It's not that conditional authority, it's positional authority. Who is worthy of that? Jesus. So in his name, under his authority for which all in heaven and earth has been given to him, we do things and we carry out things that God tells us to do, authority, a spoken authority. God honors the blessing and God honors the authority. Now we're thinking like he thinks. Now we're getting somewhere. Hey, now we're thinking. It's positional. It's a responsibility. I have a responsibility to leverage you as a church family for Barrett and Caroline's benefit. It's a responsibility that I have. And your responsibility is to trust that. Now we've taken this thing to a whole new level. We're operating in the economy of God when we look at these things this way. So authority isn't an ego thing, it's not a, it's not a power thing. It's, it's what's in place. When the elders call the elders of the church, lay hands on, anoint them with oil, lay hands on the sick, pray the prayer of faith, confess your sin one to another, that's authority. 
When we do away with authority, we do away with the results of what the authority is supposed to bring about. And authority has to be used just like in your business, just like in your family, just like in your whatever you're involved in. It has to be proper authority and it has to be for the best interest of the recipient. There it is. It's about him. And it's about his mother. And it's about me trusting the Lord in this situation and then you trusting my leadership. That's really what it's about. When all of that comes together, you've given the Lord, I've given the Lord, we've given the Lord something to work with. It doesn't replace in any way, shape, or form the blessing of Kyle over his son. It's not. It's the church of Jesus Christ coming to and mobilizing for the betterment of his situation, to speak a blessing. Everyone understand? It's important. All right. I think we have a current picture. Well, it's not all that current, but it's more current than the, well, it's not current, but he looks a lot better there than he does in the hospital bed. So let's do that, shall we? Let's speak a blessing over Barrett. Let's speak a blessing over Caroline, and let's trust the Lord's leading to do so as a church subject to the authority of his father. So if you feel so led, we'll, we'll both speak a blessing and pray. If you feel so led to pray for him, I wanna encourage you to come to the altar. We're gonna take our time. We're gonna pray a beyondness blessing on him. So if you wanna pray at the altar, you're welcome to come at this time. We're gonna pray for Barrett and his mother, Caroline. that we all participate. It's important in the eyes of God. I want to give you a minute to sit in it, to think. Think as a mother, think as a father, think as a sibling. this rock you've built this church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against her and you've built this church to inhabit the praise of your people and to partner with you in ministry to use the authority that you've given us and to walk worthy of the calling you've placed upon our lives care for one another, pray for one another, love one another, encourage one another, and build one another up. We're asking you to bless a blessing on Barrett and Caroline. We're asking you to bless that beyond measure, 
with a beyondness far beyond where we are today, all the days of their life, and all things and all matters going forward. Listen to your people, we pray, in accordance with your word. Meet us where we are, and place that blessing upon this boy, we pray in Jesus' name. We speak this blessing over Barrett and Caroline. Over them, in them, and eventually through them. Stand guard over them and keep your rod to the right and your staff to their left. Watch over them in this time of peril. Angels encamp around those who fear you. I pray you place your ministering angels above them as they lean on and trust in and stand on your word going forward. That you bless them with goodness and mercy. Pursuing them, as we have even sung here today, pursuing them in this context, this season, this time. Pursue them, goodness and mercy. Anoint them, anoint their skin, anoint their hearts, anoint their minds, anoint their bodies, and let their cup runneth over. Place upon them, Father, a mantle of comfort. Comfort as like the affection of Christ Jesus. That the works of God may be displayed in your works, displayed in their life in word and in deed. Bless them with expeditious healing beyond that of any norm to a level astounding and astonishing expeditious healing and the removal of pain, we ask. Bless them. Bless them with Enduring endurance, a patience to wait upon you in the restoration that follows. Ever-present favor, insight, clarity, and wisdom. Testify through their life in this season of your goodness, your compassion, and your grieving. Bless them immeasurably. Bless them lovingly. Bless them with trustworthiness and trust in you. Build up their faith. Bless them, bless them, bless them. Bless them with a clear conscience. Bless them Bless Barrett Ford with a wife of noble character. Bless him with a platform on which to share the goodness of God. Bless them, bless them, bless them, Lord. We speak over them and we speak to them. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.
Amen. We give this to you, Father, today for your remembrance, for your application, for your loving kindness and your tender mercies. We need thee now, and we need thee going forward, and we've always needed you. Meet these needs and exact this blessing upon them, both now and forevermore, and everyone said, amen. Amen. And amen. All right, let's close with worship.